Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. Back again for a new episode of Life List. This is George Armistead. I am here with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo. How are you doing today, Alvaro? Looking good here in the West. Nice. That's what we like to hear. A little nippy here. A little nippy here. We got, we got uh, you know, this humid cold here where it's like, you know, you, you, I saw it was like going to be 50 degrees the other day and, and, and rainy. And I was like, oh, yeah, it won't be too bad. And I go out and I'm just like, I'm, I'm shivering before I know it because it's, it's not even that cold, but it's just this penetrating, humid cold. And uh, suffice it to say, I could have prepared a little better. That's kind of like what we have all the time here. <laughs> humid, <laughs> cold, even summer. <laughs> it's yeah. never really is truly dry out here and on the coast, central coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what have you been up to? You've been getting out, getting after it. Did you do do either of those CBCs you had planned? I did. I did a sea watching uh, CBC. So, um, three hours standing there, <laughs> looking out over the ocean, and uh, it was uh, it was interesting because the the winds were offshore, which was it. That, that's not the norm here, and it brought out like smog mm. over the water like from the city not ideal and a little heat shimmer which you actually never see that heat haze mm. over the water it was a little weird you, you started getting pelicans um going up in thermals oh, so wow. you know it, it it really was one of those days where everything was so odd that you you felt like an earthquake was going to happen. You know, earthquake weather is what we call it here. It's kind of something weird about the weather. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but the the coolest thing was that just masses of white throated swifts started flying right over my oh, head. Yeah. So I start, I was photographing them and watching them and and looking through them all and enjoying the whole thing. And that was that was pretty wild. I mean they they're kind of a mystery to me in winter because they, they you know up north they they get up to southern British Columbia, the Okanagan Valley, and those are theoretically all all um, migrants. Yet we tend to think of them as being resident in much of the southern, sort of southwestern part of the U.S. Yet in a place like here, we I might see swifts a few times a year on the coast. Hmm. That's it, and um, and they they sort of seem to come in from I don't know where. And where they go or how far they're moving to, I have no idea. But these birds are definitely kind of on the move and going through. And um, then when it's crummy weather, right? Like you can't find them anywhere. They're if it's raining or what have you, it's they're completely gone. And they, they you know, even places that are their more regular sort of inland, they just disappear. And I wonder if they actually go into torpor. They just go into their spots, go into and, like a, a crevice of a cave someplace, and just like yeah, or a bridge or something, mm-hmm. yeah. And then they they go into torpor, waiting for the good weather again. Then they all kind of emerge. I mean, there's such weird animals, um, and you know, there's the the other swifts that stay up in the air the whole time. So who knows? That's what if, I was going to ask you: Is do you think you know, that it's possible these things just move around the edge of fronts and and are actually just never stop going, or or not so I much? Don't, 
I don't think so, actually, because you you will see them here um, even in the non-breeding situations around bridges and stuff, where you you're okay, they're sleeping there or they're doing something there, but just such a mystery. And the, so the, it's always kind of like a surprise, like oh look, swifts are all out, you know, especially on the coast here, <laughs> where we don't have swift weather all the time. And I I got to use the word swifty for mm. uh, anybody who's a fan of swifts. And uh, some people get that, some people won't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, not sure I get it myself. But uh, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, oh, you're I a Swifty. Be. Yeah, I see. there you go. And what state is she from, Alvaro? Uh, oh, well, I, the way that I'm seeing your bait <laughs> do kind of this funny George face, I mm-hmm. would say it's. Probably Pennsylvania. The great state, the keystone state of Pennsylvania. That is accurate. Correct. Mm-hmm. Boy, perhaps it, a leading question, but uh, you, you got, answered it appropriately. You have Pink and Taylor Swift? Yeah, Pink's from like right around here, though. I mean, Taylor Swift, I think, is from Reading, just outside of Philly, little ways. Um, so, yeah. Ooh. You know, not just West Philadelphia with Will Smith and The Roots and... Everybody, we you know we we've got a nice little collection of talent yeah. here. I just did an ooh because like uh, this juvenile Sharpton hawk just just dove through the feeders, scaring everything up. Oh boy! And and then went to hide in one of the shrubs. One it's of like those excipitor explosion of birds. Like sometimes yeah. you don't even see the the excipitor. You just know that one has arrived because everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was an explosion. Didn't get anything, but he's sitting in the in the in the tree, all hidden, waiting. I've seen him do this before. He just sits there for like half an hour, and He's then all the birds come back to the feeder, and then he goes goes for it again. Nice. God. Yesterday we had, uh, and Tom Johnson, Jason Wexstein, Liam Hart. We were all doing CBC, and we were, and uh, we see this. Jason spots this falcon. He's like, "Falcon going over," you know. And we just watch it, and it did one of these. It was moving so quick and looked so small and dark. We all thought it was a merlin at first. It ended up being a peregrine. And I've seen them do this before. You know, they're such amazing hunters that it almost looked like it caught a starling. But what it, it really looked like the starling like just flew into its hands, like it like into its grasp. It looked like mm-hmm. like the, the like the peregrine just kind of like rose up, and it looked like you know it was so effortless that it looked like the starling just like floated into its grasp, and he was just like, "Boop, thank you." Take that nice little snack. Hmm. I've seen I've seen him do that before. I remember one time with like it was it was actually it was a long-billed dowager thing flew off calling. I was like, man, something's after that bird. And it was the same thing, just kind of like floated into the grips of the peregrine. I was like, wow, that thing really is masterful, masterful hunter. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, the I wonder if like you know if we had like blooper peregrine bloopers, you know, we'd notice that they're ridiculously bad at certain certain moves you know like they just can't do it they like crash land every now and then yeah yeah this... bird the, you do see bird bloopers every now and then like, they yeah can, like i'll never forget jesse fagan and i watching doing sea watch at the storm once and there's like i don't know 15 people you know onshore winds strong onshore winds everyone's like waiting for jaegers maybe a rare seabird to show up down cape may and Jesse and I must have got on, even though we were spaced part of ways, we must have got on the same double crested cormorant. And all of a sudden, 
like everyone's being quiet, you know, because everyone's like intensely looking for birds, you know, just like hope everyone wants to be the person that, you know, spots the great skua or whatever. And Jesse and I are all of a sudden just burst into laughter at the same time. And, and like everyone else is quiet and like looks, starts looking around like, what are you guys about? And we had both seen this double crested cormorant, like try to kind of like, you know, it's real, real wavy. There's like high waves and stuff, big chop. And, and this cormorant was kind of gliding along low and it, it's left wing, like caught one of the waves and the <laughs> thing just like cartwheeled like several times and then splashed into the water. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you don't see birds really kind of mess up that bad that we just like we were Loser. dying and we couldn't we yeah we couldn't even explain to people what we'd seen for a while cuz we were laughing so hard so i i once like when i was a kid i was swimming in lake huron wasaga beach and uh it's this flat like really shallow beach and and you know you know it's a lake it's not that much that wavy but sometimes you know and you start fiddling around like jumping up through the waves and stuff you know the small waves and and I remember like kind of getting down in under the water and just like jumping up like as high as I could. And as I do this, like I, I feel this like whack, you know, like hit me in the head. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I look down, it's a herring gull actually hit me on the head as it was flying through because I came up like from <laughs> out of the water. And the poor the poor gull's like, you know, sitting there like on its back going like, oh man, <laughs> like what, what happened? Where did you, you come from? I know. And and I'm like, you know, got got a little dent there, you know, on my head there, a little <laughs> tiny bit of a you know, little cut. So I take the gull over to the beach, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, make sure he's kind of has a place to hang oh, wow. out and resuscitate. So he didn't like get up and fly off right away. Nope. He actually, you guys, he must've hit you pretty hard. He hit me really hard, you know, wow. but there was the bright side to this whole story was most of the birds that were flying through were Caspian terns. And if it had been a Caspian turn, Oof. I don't think I'd be here to yeah, talk that, to you about it. It would have gone right through my head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pterodactyl yeah talk about screwing up though herring gull yeah I mean, that's a big bird hurts that is that is a big bird and yeah well speaking of herring gulls al um whoa saw quite a few this weekend quite a few herring gulls it's like forty thousand. about that i think our estimate was close to that um for the landfill we all, we, you know, we did the landfill like I talked about last time and, uh, some, some good, some good times up there. There was definitely, you know, there was more gulls than there had been the last couple of years. Usually I think we were kind of in like the 25 to 30, 30,000. It definitely felt like more when we arrived, it actually didn't seem like there were as many and they just, you could see them in the distance, just kind of coming in and like, it was like squadrons of them, you know, like coming in from the river further south, maybe the lakes. And I was like, man, they, they just started packing in all around us. I got a picture of my car and it's like we walked well away from the car and it's just surrounded by herring gulls. But yeah, we ended up with about 40,000 or so. And the other guys that they, they go to the, the lake there at dusk and watch them come in. I don't know if they did that this year, but if they do, often they get close to 100,000. But, um, yeah, it was a fun day, man. We, uh, we got to see a lot of gulls and, uh, a, a good array 
of Iceland gulls and a couple Thayer's types and uh, one one real funky one I'd actually like for you to get a look at. It looked like a Thayer's gull in every respect, but totally pale eye and a little bit of a heavy heavy build to it. Uh, I suspect if it was out your way on the West Coast, you wouldn't have worried about it too much. But in the East, you know, people people look askance at uh, Thayer's gulls with that kind of build around here. And uh, and then the real highlight was this California gull. We had a beautiful adult California gull bird from your side of the pond Whoa. over here. Yeah. And it's been about 20 years since I've seen one in the East. So I was pretty jazzed uh, to see that thing sitting out there. It's pretty cool. I mean, I don't not to take away on the the absolute level of focus that one needs to like find something like that uh out east but my guess is if there were 10 times more bird people interested in gulls it'd probably be you know kind of an annual thing out that way but um you know because it does take a lot of yeah you know how yeah yeah and and patience yeah exactly yeah, it's tough to find too many places where gulls really congregate in big, big numbers. And uh, if it was easy to do that, I think we'd actually, we would get pretty good coverage in those places because there are enough people dedicated to it. But um, yeah, it's, it is. It's, there's, there's definitely more of these things floating around than we realize. Uh, our white whale there is the slatybacked, which... I know you seem to run in just about every time you walk your dog now out there. But I uh, saw one the other day. Yeah, I know. You were like jogging, right? Right. Yeah. That's ridiculous, I, man. I, I felt actually quite proud of this one because, you know, I, I kind of eyeballed it. Was able to go back because I, I don't jog with binoculars. So I was able to tell some friends and went back and we found it. And it was one. So, well, at least we think it is one. That's absurd. So one of the one year olds. So the tough. Oh wow! It's the first cycle, yeah. Oof. yeah. Jesus, so, <laughs> so it's kind of like you know, I was thinking, like, gosh, if this thing, if we never find it, never get a photograph of it, I'll just have this image in my head of what I was seeing, and it'll just die. But instead, we found it, got photographs, and then it was like, yes, you know, wow, Clinched really it. felt like an accomplishment. Jeez. I gather your California goal was. A little bit of a, an accomplishment there too, that's what I hear. I have to say, I was pretty pleased about it because it was it was not real close when I first saw it, and it was it, it's like I could only see its head, like like it was one of these things where you're like scanning through you know thousands of these gulls, and it was on the back side of the flock, and I just saw its head like poking up, and then it the head went down, and I was like, ooh. That looked that looked good, you know. It looked like a dark eye, sort of smaller build, and then it put its head up again. I was like, "Ooh, that does look good." And then I, you know, kind of got the guys on it. And, you know, Tom Johnson, he's like a, he's like a foot taller than me. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not a short yeah, fellow, but so Tom, yeah, you're seeing the head, and he's seeing yeah. all the way to the legs. <laughs> exactly. Right? I was like, hey, "You got to get on this, dude, because your angle, you can actually like see a good chunk of the bird." And he gets on it, and he's like, "Oh, wow, yeah, like that." He was like, "That thing's gonna have green legs," you know. And so we kind of, we like positioned ourselves and, and, uh, and got better views of it. And then, and then we really were able to see it well and get good photos and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was nice to have it just, you know, you just sort of like see a hint of something and you're like, it triggers your, you're like your spidey senses, you know, like you're like, yeah, man, you know, that looks like something. I'm pretty sure I know what that is. I want to see that better. And then, and then when it, it is that thing, 
it's pretty satisfying because so often it's not right. You're kind of looking for stuff and you're like, ah, oh, no, it's, you know, I wanted it to be something, but it ain't. So this was, well, I it think, was a nice one. I think if, you know, if anybody's listening, who's sort of uh, more new at this whole game of birding and stuff, and then you wonder like, how does this magic happen of like snowing, finding these things? And it, it all ends up being experience and also kind of this repetition of even images, like looking at the book over time and just going, oh, that's what that thing looks like. I wish I could see it one day. And you just, you you remember what something should look like. And then in real life, when it, when you see the real thing, you almost, you don't see the field marks. You just like, it's like an automatic, like, there it is, you mm-hmm. know, or boom, that's, yeah. that's one I want to see better. And um, it's all kind of repetition. It's very like, in a sense, it sounds easy, It, it but it, it it's time. It's yeah. time. You and know? when it, it happens, it actually is easy because at that yeah. point you've looked at enough stuff that you just, it's, as we've talked about before, it's recognition. It's not really identification. Yeah. It's just recognition. Yeah. It's like, you know, spotting a good friend in a crowded room or what have you. There's a famous example kind of of the thing you're talking about. Um, I, 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 some of my friends get furious at me for reading Malcolm Gladwell's books, but I actually really like them. I, I, I understand some of the limitations, but so I, I'll couch this story with with that. I, know, I love those books. Yeah, me too. I think they're great. But yeah. he, I think it was in Blink. Who, he actually yeah, who'd be furious. Eh? Who are yeah. these friends of yours? Anyway. Yeah. Well, I won't name it. <laughs> I got one good buddy who's like he just he just really finds Gladwell irritating. But uh, but there's I think it was he's in Canadian. Blink. You know, <laughs> is he? I did not know that. That's uh-huh. right. Nice. Well, he's got a, a famous example where he talks about David Sibley and how. Uh, I believe it was on Ocean Drive, which is where I was yesterday for the Cape May Christmas bird camp. I think uh, Sibley, you know, was a younger birder then. So we're going back some years. And he just saw this shorebird, kind of medium-sized shorebirds, pick up out of the marsh, fly a little bit, and settle back down. And, you know, saw this nice sort of U-shaped white rump patch and was like, that's a rough. And he just, he'd never seen a rough before, but he knew it instantly. Mm-hmm. And it's same kind of thing, I think, where you kind of fantasize about the bird you want to see, and and you uh, you study it enough that when it appears, you're like, oh wow, there it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah, no, it's uh, it it is magical. Um, and you know the in a way you you can't force it too. You you just have to like spend time um, watching birds, thinking about them, looking at images. Ebird images could be like. You you know if you you drinking your morning cup of coffee and instead of like reading depressing news in the <laughs> New York Times you could just go to eBird you know and say oh today I'm going to look at rough and then just like mm-hmm. go through a whole bunch of rough pictures and while you do your coffee and believe it or not that actually is teaching you yeah you're what reinforcing they look like. the imagery in your brain yeah. yeah yeah I love looking through the top imagery like you know top media for certain birds in eBird. I mean, there's so much amazing imagery, but it's even fun to look at some of the lesser quality stuff. It can teach you a lot. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. No, we should, uh, that's a, that's a topic for the future. We should pick our top 10 best photos that we can find on eBird, you know, after like just sort of rummaging around for a little bit, like just, uh, just cool stuff for different reasons mm-hmm. and we can talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good, good topic. I like that. Yeah. 
And if folks have cool images that they want us to uh, talk about, then uh, certainly send those in. That could be that could be good fun. I think there's the amount of imagery there is pretty impressive. It's uh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about, Al, is yesterday I had the privilege and pleasure of hosting the uh, of being one of the hosts of the Bird of the Year American Birding Association Bird of the Year. Um, reveal for 2022. It was here in Philly at Triple Bottom Brewery, which is an awesome place, by the way. B Corporation, they do all sorts of good, uh, all sorts of good stuff. In, in addition to brewing some mighty tasty brews, and um, you know, Al, last time we talked, you had a guess as to what the bird of the year would be, <laughs> and while you were not correct, you were not that far off either. You uh, you guessed the great horned owl, and you got the uh-huh. family right, but different go. species of owl, more diurnal one, it ended up being the burrowing owl, which is that's the that's the twenty twenty two bird of the year. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, um, this reminds me of the story too. the The other day, I was birding in a place, you know, out in towards the Central Valley, and I was. Some of the birders told me that you know they they'd been stopped by a a police officer, right? You know, like, what are you doing kind of thing? I was like, oh, they're looking for birds. Oh, right. And the, the, the cop says, Hey, you, you guys know the ground owl. And and they're like, ground owl. And they knew exactly what they, what he meant. <laughs> oh yeah. We, we see these ground owls around here. You know, they're owls, but they're in the ground, ground owls. And I thought that was an amazingly adept, like a it's guy a who didn't name. know about bird. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's just, you know, Going around there with his coffee, you know, looking for crimes. And meantime, he's looking at the birds and the cows and things. And he's like, oh, look at them ground owls. You know, probably talks to his partner. Hey, you know, Joe, you ever notice ground owls? Oh, yeah, look at them ground owls. (laughs) They they just (laughs) created this name. And to him, it was the ground owl. And uh, anyway, we, we we thought it was a good name and that we were we were also happy that you know, the police are out there looking at the birds, you yeah. know, and paying attention. That's so, cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds so, me of that Amazon Kingfisher that showed up down there in Texas. And I remember the police were like, so cooperative about like allowing, they remember they like closed off like a lane, a highway so that uh-huh. on the, the birders could all like go and check out the Amazon Kingfisher. And I remember like, before I kind of understood what was do- going on, I pulled, pulled over there and I was getting ready to, I was like, I don't want to look at the, you know, see the Amazon Kingfisher. It's like only the second one for North America. And the, and uh, this cop comes up and I thought he's going to be like, yeah, you, you better run along, better move along. And he's like, have you seen the Amazon Kingfisher? It's right over here. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, well, we should say North America, north of the Mexican border, right? Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> ABA area, if you Right, will. before, yeah. you know, Michael Redder's going to write in. And he's, uh, <laughs> That's true, yes. He gets rather particular about these uh, these definitions. Yeah, true indeed. No, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, that's why we have these definitions, but we, uh, we do sometimes go astray. This um, is true. Speaking of which, like, as, as far as like a uh, pet, kind of a pet peeve, uh, one of my pet peeves is that nobody can spell Stellar's J. 
correctly, right? They mm-hmm. put an A on it. Right. And yeah. now, now today, big news, right? There's a stellar seagull, uh, which had been in Canada. It's like yeah. now in Massachusetts and everybody's going nuts, right? Uh, I guess, I think it's Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I was like amazed because all of the early reports, like, uh, yesterday and this morning were, uh, were spelled correctly, like stellar with an E. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> wow, why is it that this species, this stellar gets spelled correctly and the J does not. But then later on, it started being misspelled. Like, I mean, it was like several hours of uh, good spelling and then the spelling started spell right going. Off. Yeah, the A came in, and I was like, "Damn you, Stellar!" You know, <laughs> you know, there's a short-lived, short-lived run of good, uh, good spelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's probably an analysis that could be made. Like all the early people talking about it were probably like long-time experienced birders who have been told how to spell it. You know, and then later on, it was like newer birders who and spell check was coming in and messing it up. But yeah. in any case. Yeah. One of my, I have very few pet peeves, but that's one of them. Yeah, stellar. I love, I love that. Like everybody's like thrilled and posting social media posts about the stellar seagull and how awesome it is that this bird's here. And I'm, I can just picture you being like, the bird is awesome, but what's even more amazing is everyone's spelling it correctly. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But uh, you know, I think I obviously, um, I wouldn't necessarily like get on a plane to see that bird because I as you have been in Japan where mm-hmm. in the winter where you can see a whole load of them and yeah. it's amazing to see them where they're common. Well, I mean, they actually are common yeah. in the, for a little, a few weeks of the year in certain parts of Hokkaido. And uh, yeah. I guess you had a, a nice little, yeah. situation up there <laughs> i was gonna say my experience on that bird was pretty tainted like I, I i saw quite a few uh flying over pretty well but i didn't get to have the like you know walk up to the edge of the of the hole in the ice you know and see these ginormous like, it's one of the biggest eagles in the world right i mean it's mm-hmm. one of the it's i think it's top three and in, in maybe aspect ratio it might even be the biggest i don't know in terms head to tail wingtip to wingtip there it's it's a really big bird and of course the bill is massive right you look at the bill and it's just this incredibly thick yellow orange sort of school bus yellow kind of bill with a big hook on it and they got the big wedge-shaped tail and you know it's as dramatic as raptors get and of course you know we were on a tour group there and this is one of my very first tours i ever led and i was I was just super happy to to be going to this area, and I was like, "Man, this is going to be awesome!" You know, we're going to get out there, be white-tailed eagles sitting around stellar sea eagles. You know, it's frigid, cold, coldest place I've just about ever been. The Siberian current, you know, whisking through all sorts of just, you know, I, I feel like it was like I don't know, ten, fifteen below, and it, it was windy, so it was just like it was cold. And I remember, you know, they're like, "All right, George, will you know you?" you know, I was with Phil Gregory, and he's like, "George, you." uh you lead the group out there. Well, you know, I'll bring up the rear and I take like four steps onto the ice and I go right up to my waist, just fall right through the ice, you know, right up the waist <laughs> in water. And of course it, it actually was just thin and like at the edges there, you know, once you got on the ice, it was much, much thicker, but I had picked just a bad spot and I was soaked and it was freezing and everybody's like looking around like, Oh my God, like, you know, 
are we, we're really supposed to go out there and the guide just fell through the ice and Phil's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's just, it's kind of a little, little bad right there. Just keep going. It'll be fine. And of course he was right. And everyone goes out there, but I had to go back to the bus cause I was like cold, you know, it's like really, really yeah. cold, dangerously cold. So I go back to the bus to like, I had all my gear there and I had, a, you know, I could change, but the bus was gone. So I had to like, I started like running in circles, like, you know, running, doing like little laps, you know, just to try to stay warm. And the bus was gone for a good 20 minutes. And, uh, but the new bus showed up and I, I got changed and everything. I walked back out there. Everybody's coming back off the ice. I'm like, that was amazing. Those stellar seagulls were right at our feet. And it was like time to go. And I was like, oh, gut punch, you know, <laughs> I had like a few flying around, but you know, didn't really get, didn't really get to sink my teeth into them the way a lot of folks did. So I need to get back there. Yeah. No, I, it's funny. I, I don't think now anywhere do you walk on the ice to see them. Like, mm. uh, the, um, yeah, the, the sort of current, uh, ways that, that people see them is that these guys come around with all this, these fish guts mm -hmm. and they kind of lay them out on the ice and all the photographers line up, you know, sort of a decent distance away. And it's kind of like a bird feeder oh, for wow. eagles. That sounds crazy. Awesome. Yeah, and and I mean hundreds come wow. in. Like, so it's uh, it's kind of you really were one of the early adopters. Yeah, so. you really went in the appetite <laughs> there. Jeez. Now now it's uh, yeah, you just so, and they are. I mean, I was impressed. Like you said, huge bill and the wedge shaped tail, like just incredible, like diamond, white diamond. Yeah, but the young birds are really cool too because they're. They're like patchy brown things with the big beaks and the tail coming in and white splotches, kind of just like almost there's more to focus and concentrate on, like where the white is. And it's like each one is different, kind of like a fingerprint, you know? Mm -hmm. Once they become adults, they sort of all kind of look like or this similar. regal, similar thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that there's just so much to look at in those yeah. situations at this amazing bird that you're like, whoa, it's, it's totally the opposite of like the harpy eagle experience where like there's one, you know, or a pair or a chicken, a nest. This is like a whole bunch of them, you know, like whole group of them. And, uh, that's, that alone is, is pretty amazing. So yeah, yeah got to go back. Yeah, really do. I mean, yeah. for for the the larophile, the gull freaks like us, it's uh, it's got a lot to offer. And uh, yeah. not only has it got the big eagles and the cranes, uh, the cranes are pretty, pretty. Seeing those Japanese red crowned cranes at dawn there, with all the mist around them, mm -hmm. is definitely one of the more magical natural spectacles you can ever see. And then, uh, not to mention the biggest owl in the world, yeah. Right, Blakus, Blakuson's fish owl. That's another yeah. amazing thing to see there, and, and I think we and the alcids. That. Yeah, that's too, right. The alcids too. Spectacle Gilmont. Yeah, all this. It's a good, good country for for winter birding. That's for sure. Yeah, you know. So it's it's well. Can't wait to get back there. I mean, right now we can't, but um, right, but near future, will, hopefully, the future. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is that is one heck of an owl that is over there, and uh, just circling back to the burrowing owl, which I yeah. think is a a fantastic choice for the for the bird of the year by the folks at ABA. I, I always say that like anybody that turns up their nose at a whale or an owl is just simply a bad human being. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true. Like those, that, like those are, those are some of the most charismatic animals in the world. If you like, if you, if you can't get excited about seeing those, then there's just, there's, there's character flaw there. You know, there's just, if not, if not multiple character flaws. So, uh, although looking for owls when you're a tour guide is not the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> failure that, rates are high. That so. is that is true. That is true. Especially some of the the smaller nocturnal ones can be particularly difficult. But if you get them on a day roost, that yeah. is pretty nice. And diurnal owls, like the burrowing owl, are pretty darn cooperative. You yeah, gotta, you got to like those. They uh, they do some cool stuff. The ground and, owl. Yeah, one of the things that Holly Merker was telling me, you know, she was there. Uh, with a whole bunch of other folks, great cast of characters showed up for this uh, for the year reveal party, and um, and she was like, "Yeah, you know, the burrowing owls, you know, where they excavate these these cavities where they nest, they have there's sort of like an area where the dirt kind of piles up, and I think they call it the skirt uh, is kind of what they call that area, if I if I remember correctly." And almost like a lyre bird does, or or or, or um, a bower bird rather, um, they will sort of the, the owls will will pick different things and they'll decorate the skirt with um, little little tidbits. And she was telling me how at some spots, you know, one spot to Chino, there, there was an owl that was famous for picking up cigarette butts and just kind of placing them around the skirt. And then and then there was another that would pick up dog droppings, dog poop. And it would just kind of decorate its area huh. with dog poop. It but, sounds just like bower birds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except and, crappy. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but then there was one that really went the extra mile. And I don't know where it was getting this material, but it was using ladies' undergarments to decorate its uh, its its area around the nest. And it was like... People were like, "What? Wow, that's like, like a that's- creepy owl." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was picturing sort of like a you know neon colored thongs or something. Like it'd probably be pretty cool looking. I don't know, but uh, you know, imagination <laughs> is is uh, is half of it, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I was I was thinking maybe it was actually little plastic doll underwear. You know, the colored. <laughs> <laughs> Because I can't imagine an owl flying with proper human-sized underwear, but I guess yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works, but uh, they must have been close to like someplace people were hanging laundry, or maybe there was a bunch of yeah. clothes getting dropped off someplace. I don't know. Did did you check on this, or or you know get some you know some photographic evidence? Because maybe she was just making it up, and now you're going yeah. live. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it could on- be. Yeah, you know, I I found I heard this yesterday. You, by you, Holly Worker, you <laughs> and your jokes. <laughs> she can be quite the prankster. I wouldn't put it past her. Maybe she was like, "I'm going to feed him this little tidbit, and he's going to go blabbing it around, and everybody's going to say what a what, what an idiot he is." But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I I don't That's know. That's pretty um, wild, though. The yeah, skirt. it is. Yeah, it's a good yeah. story, even if it's not true. So, uh, I know. I mean, it's yeah. worth t- telling, even if it is true. In fact, in today's world, who cares if it's true or not? We just talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps deserves a little more research, but uh, I thought it was pretty Oh, no, close. no, that's not the kind of show we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, so speaking you know, of research, though, you've done a little bit on Browning Owls. I've though, done yeah. a little bit of research. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is that it's one of those things in birding that happened to me where I was like, hold on a second, where I was 
burning down in Southern California, and I heard this this burrowing owl calling. And I thought, huh, that's kind of weird. I mean, it's not how I think of burrowing owls calling. And then I realized that most of the time I hear them calling, I'm in South America. And then I thought, hold on a second. How about if they don't call alike here versus South America? So I start putting together recordings. And sure enough, there's this division between northern and southern birds. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but completely, you know, um, uh, what's the word? I mean, there's variation, but you you fall into one or the other camp in terms of your vocalizations, and it looks like you know owls don't learn their songs or that that we have two species of burrowing owls, you know, um, based on this voice stuff. And I've analyzed about three quarters of of it now, and it looks clear. But um, um, but then the question is. Burrowing owl, we have a name that is so awesome. If we had two species, what would we call the other one? Or, you know, that you get into the whole issue of do you do you mess it up by calling it northern burrowing owl? Which yeah. I hate those things. So are, you boring. Know, so yeah. boring. Or do we leave it as burrowing owl and assume people won't make the mistake? How about know? burrowing owl and ground owl? All right, ground owl, <laughs> and yeah, we could we have to track down this cop, you mm-hmm. know, out there and sort of say, can you can we use this name, you know, officially? He'd be like, sure, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ground owl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Athena terrestris. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's uh it's amazing, you know, that those birds are doing their thing out there in the day. Um, and you know, it, have you ever seen little owl? I assume you have. Yeah. It's amazingly similar to a burrowing owl. And you don't think of little owls in sort of Asia, Europe, you know, as being just a quasi burrowing owl, but oh my gosh, they're nearly the same thing. It's it's pretty cool. Super, super similar. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like the, I always think burrowing owls look leggier. Um, yeah. But, well, uh, yeah, dig, they are. Well, to carry the underwear, you need a bigger leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's the evolution of leg size, you know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's true. You got you to have some muscles down there, you know. Yeah. 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 No, cool birds. And that is fascinating. It, I think there's like seven different, 17 different subspecies. So, uh It'll be interesting to see where where is the break, or do you, or can you talk about that at all, or is it or is that something it's, you're still kind of working on? It's um, actually northern South American okay. birds sound like like sure. uh, North American birds, like Darien Gap kind of situation. No, no, yeah. no. Colombia is northern, mm-hmm. so Venezuela and oh. northern Brazil are actually northern, and then once you get to about Ecuador south, it's the other one. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. It's weird. It's yeah. not. Not what you'd expect. Yeah, I wonder why all. the break is there. It's curious. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know how it works. I just put together the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And yeah, I I have no idea. Visually, you'd be able to tell them apart because, like you said, there's 17 described subspecies based on how dark or pale they are. I would imagine there's probably enough variation within each one of these two species that you wouldn't be able to know specifically one or the other without sound or location. 
but may, maybe there's something I, I haven't, you know, yeah, I haven't thought about it that, that clearly it's kind of almost too complicated. Yeah. Visually, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's got a massive range, those things, yeah. you know, so there's going to be a lot of variation. Um, it, it's, you know, when you see a range that spans from Canada all the way down almost to Tierra del Fuego, you think, you start to think, there's probably more than one species involved there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all breaks out. Yeah, it's a good choice, though. I mean, I, I'm i not sure what the criteria always is for the ABA bird you know does it have to be eastern and western um do you know um but you know um, they they kind of choose they try to choose stuff that like could be spark birds or like you know touchstones for people that they can see the bird over and over again and and still enjoy it and and you know charismatic species that maybe there's a conservation focus as well maybe not i I know that at least in i think in alberta and parts of canada i think burling owls have really just about vanished so i know there's a conservation concern there i don't know florida yeah the florida ones have a really you know uh pretty pretty tight population there they don't move around either and um yeah so that's i think was part of part of the thinking for this one interestingly i guess kind of topical of this week one of the issues on the Farallon Islands with um, introduced mice was that burrowing owls actually move in during the winter. Migrant burrowing owls move in, and they uh, they eat the mice in the late fall and whatever. And the mice have this population crash about midwinter. Then the burrowing owls switch to eating ashy storm petrels <laughs> on the on the Farallons. Wow! And the the there were no burrowing owls there probably naturally coming in there. They just come in because there's this introduced mice pop, mouse population. And that is one of the elements why the biologists have wanted to remove the mice from the islands. And this week that was given the okay by the California coastal commission. So it's a, it was a big kind of political thing here mm-hmm. locally. Yeah. And, um, it actually went through. So, um, That'll be really good for nesting seabirds as well as the uh, the other biota that's on those on the islands, you know, off of San Francisco, the little crickets and salamanders, as well as native vegetation and all sorts of other alcids that breed there. They're probably going to benefit from removal of mice. But burrowing owl was key in that kind of um, storm petrel thing, and to think burrowing owls eating storm petrels, it first doesn't make sense, but then you're like, oh, actually, kind of does make sense, you know. They they probably go right in there with the bur- in the burrows with yeah. them and go so grab like the, them, you know. The short-eared owls and with the wedge rump storm petrels and the Galapagos, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other cool owl out there. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think one of the, the one of the great conservation success stories in the last decade or so are these. Um, rat and pest eradication programs from these remote islands remote remote island groups and we've seen it mm-hmm. now in south georgia where the south georgia pipit has just recovered incredibly um, mm-hmm. we've seen it in some, those sub-antarctic islands of new zealand where uh, the snipe there and the and the auckland island teal and the campbell island teal these flightless ducks have really come back strong after they were able to eradicate these introduced pests. 
that were just chewing up all the the young and the eggs. It's uh, pretty inspiring stuff that, you Mm -hmm. know, in a time when it seems like a lot is going wrong in conservation, to see the those these areas just recover and they it's amazing how quickly they recover mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and one of the things here that was actually sort of the negative was that there was such opposition to a process which is actually tried and true and really has worked has been a success story conservation-wise all over the world but being um you know uh, a situation that had to become political because the Coastal Commission was involved in public input, then then you got all sorts of different viewpoints, including misinformed ones. Um, gosh, it's sort of like uh, that was tiring, to say the least, to a lot of the the biologists who had been devoting their lives to this island to see all people just basically not listen to them yeah. or their expertise or their thoughts, people who love this place, you know, and yeah. they're completely being discounted. Like they're yeah. nut bars, you know, it's right. like, hold on a second. They love it. They know <laughs> it better than most. And they know what is good for the biodiversity there. And then you get people yeah. that basically just don't want anything to change no matter what. what right. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Well, it's people done. Love- yeah, that is that's good news. And my and my yeah. father often likes to say that people love to cherish their misconceptions, and I think uh, we see that again and again in society. Uh, anytime there's anything to uh, to react to, we do see that. But that's great news and good for the ashy storm petrels and, and all all the other critters out there. That's real. That's really great. Yeah, and fantastic stuff. Yeah. One thing I wanted to uh, shift in gears here a little while. One thing that has come up, I think, for both of us um, recently around the holidays here are gift ideas for birders, for, for new birders, especially for young birders, particularly. And of course I would, I would be, uh, remiss not to remind folks that they, uh, I think they can buy some of our stuff as gifts. Uh, right. Um, and uh, I'm sure that there's some some items you might suggest for folks. I'd like to remind folks that the ABA Field Guide to the Birds of Pennsylvania uh, that I wrote uh, is is a, is a great book for new birders, for beginning birders, uh, for your neighbor who might have an interest in nature. I think that series of books, uh, Alvaro, you wrote the California one, and there's yeah. I think a dozen ABA or so. yeah. Guide to California. Yeah, again, written for for people who are starting out. Very, um, I wouldn't call it simple because sometimes we've we've been very careful with our word choice on how to separate this from that or tell people where yeah. to find things. You know where yeah. it's easiest to find them, but it it simplifies your life. I think as a new birder, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be. It, it really is geared towards new birders and beginning birders. But I think both of us write it uh, wrote wrote ours such that we hoped that even veteran birders, devoted birders, would would look at it and hopefully learn some <clears> things. So I think those are good gift choices. But one thing yeah, that folks have raised and, and is if you have a kid who's a new birder, uh, what are some resources for them and starter kits for new birders? Any suggestions there, Al? Boy, you know, I think it's an issue to also of cost and and um, uh, how much involvement you think that potential kid 
could have in you know in the future. But let's put it this way: uh, a lot of parents will sometimes you know see their kid uh, have an interest in in sport and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars in a sport stuff. You know whether it's skates or you know speaking from experience, you know <laughs> hockey padding or whatever. But um, um, so so in the in the choice of a binocular. There's often a tendency to say, hey, look, just get them a cheap old binocular, you know, to start out with. But I would say just notch it up a little level in the quality of the first binocular because so much of your experience of of the wow factor comes from having a glass that is at least okay. Decent. You don't yes. wanna yeah, you don't wanna get those plastic little kid binoculars where, you know, yeah, that you can't see a thing and it and it seems like you've done something to help, but in fact it's not a good experience. Yeah. So, and now there's so many good binoculars at a couple of hundred bucks, you know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's even yeah, yeah there, there's more options now than ever before for relatively inexpensive. I don't want to say cheap because there still is a bit of an investment, but relatively inexpensive, decent quality binoculars that where the, the difference is between having something that you can kind of see with and having something that you can really see well with. And that is a huge difference for the observer. You know, I, I think probably most of us have had the experience, even with uh, more, perhaps more experienced birders, where you go out and, and you look through their binoculars and think, geez, how are they actually, this is really difficult. This is going to be, you know, if, if I was using these, I would struggle. Mm -hmm. And and if you, you know, it's worth spending a little bit more on these because, you know, often it, it, people do tend to take care of them, you know, and if you if you get a decent pair, they can last you for several years or even much more than that. And there's so much you can see. Yeah. And I think we both talked also about the fact that we're real book lovers and not just because we, we have an emotional kind of tie to books, but that it is a great way to actually learn birds more so than an app or even, you know, putting things on Merlin and stuff where you, you're not getting the full visual realm of what's out there so you're not you're not kind of really sparking that magical oh i wish i could see that or like look at this you know the map says it's out there in north dakota that that whole um idea of kind of rifling through the book and saying like whoa hooping crane where do i see that mm -hmm. How, what's it look like and what's you know what you know that that whole thing you get from going through a book like page by page and kids love that yeah you know and it's way better than on your phone having the app and yeah um so yeah, i would suggest a book yeah you know a true. field guide yeah there and there are our, our good friend bill thompson the third uh he had a young birders guide that i know a lot of that, that was one of his proudest projects that he worked on yeah and that's that's a good one and i do think these the aba state guides they cover at least a dozen states now or more. Mostly, I think the ones that are more well populated, but they're they're working to add more all the time. And those are, I do think, those are really good uh, intro, you know, starter as part of a starter kit for somebody who's new and starting to look in the back in the backyard and maybe a little bit beyond. And they do. There's there's nice imagery um, to inspire and to to draw wonder. Uh, about what might lay just beyond um, yeah so. and i mean and for next year we're we're working on the 
a photographic guide to the burrowing owl skirts of North America. <laughs> and apparently, you know, they, they pick up different stuff in Florida, South Florida, than they do in, uh, in um, you know, Alberta. Let yeah. me tell you that much. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, co-authored by Florida Man. <laughs> True story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, you know, I, um, for... Maybe not necessarily for kids, but you know, I've I've started this project called birdingyourbestlife.com, dot com, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a, a an online um, resource where you can become a member and then you have access to classes and workshops and live events and things. So I've I've just was putting together something pretty simple, like um, separating Downey from Harry Woodpecker for people to to go and rifle through and stuff like that just as a learning resource and there's more and more stuff in there all the time so community so for, too yeah. yeah 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 you know conversation can be had with with members so we've just started this whole thing and you know check it out and sign up or contact me if you want to sign up a friend or something yeah <laughs> me i've been digging it what i've seen so far and i was you know i was just on that uganda trip with molly and and peter burke and some others and and Peter was was looking through it, and he was talking about some of the stuff he's looking forward to contributing, and and some of the stuff that's already there. Um, yes, really, it really is cool, and there's going to be more and more good stuff on there. So look forward to seeing that. Yeah, and we look forward to hearing about Uganda eventually, which I guess there's going to be a yeah a special Uganda episode in yeah. the, coming up. Yeah, we're going to do an extra sort of a you know a non non typical episode of the pod here where Molly and I are going to talk about our experience in Uganda. We had an incredible group of 11 birders, um, mostly from the U.S., a couple from Canada, one from Great Britain. And um, yeah, it was really, it was it was definitely an excellent experience. I'm looking forward to going back. I think Molly and, and you also are looking forward to going back, uh, offering trips there. And mm-hmm. it'll be fun to kind of detail for folks some of what you might expect if you visit and and just some of the cool experiences so we do look forward to uh putting that together in the coming weeks here that sounds good yeah i mean it'll be it'll be peter burke that that would be going on behalf of us and mm-hmm. you know that's that he he was um yeah super excited about what they saw and I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it. I want to hear you guys talk about it. But uh, I've I've heard stories, and it just uh, I gotta admit, I felt like I wished I'd been there. Yeah, we would. It would have <laughs> been great too. It was uh, close encounters with great apes, and yeah, an enormous elephant, yeah. the biggest elephant I've ever seen for sure, and uh, some amazing birds. So we will, yeah. we will detail that in the near future. But so. Uh, how yeah. did they pronounce Turaco or Turaco? There was some discussion had about this, Al. Okay. Yeah. So and, I'm not crazy. There's something yeah. going on here. And <laughs> I, I'm i not sure we really settled on um, what is appropriate uh, or right. correct. Um, and I found myself switching between the two depending on, I don't know, my mood or, you know, whatever yeah. syllables – you Code know. switching. So yeah, if you're yeah. with the Turaco people, you'd be like, "Hey, I saw a Turaco," and it's like, then you're the, with the Turaco people, like, "I'm oh, great blue Turaco, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah." So you can fit in. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is a really cool group of birds. And like when all of a sudden you see one, you have to yell it out. It was like, I, I think I, I, I yelled out like Ross's Turaco, you know? And then later I'd be talking about great blue Turaco. And I was like, I'm, not, mm. I'm like totally not saying it the same. It just, you know. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. I don't know what I think about that. I yeah. actually kind of like it. Inconsistency is sometimes kind of fun. Variety is the spice of life. You know? That's right. Yeah. Turaco. It just sounds clinical. It just sounds, gosh, I don't know why, you know, Turaco. Here at Turaco, we love to, you know. <laughs> You're the customer is our number one, but you know what I mean? Like it sounds like something, but Turco sounds more like, you know, mustache Turka, you know, mm-hmm. Turco. It's like, uh, it's a, it, it flows a little better, but it could be wrong. Yeah. Or maybe there is no right or wrong. Yeah. I'm not sure. It might be like pileated, pileated or egret and egret. Uh, you know, some of these are or plover or plover. I think all of those are equally correct, depending on. Uh, is that right? Yeah, you like, actually can say "igret." That's, yeah, that's. I mean, unless you're French. French. Yeah. It's yeah, but you know, pick a language. <laughs> pick a side. <laughs> pick a side. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I didn't actually. I've never heard anybody call them "igrets." That I didn't think was saying. I mean, I know plover. Plover, you know, that kind of a, see that as a real dichotomy, like the other ones you mentioned, but. Uh, yeah. yeah I, like, yeah. again, for me, it depends. Like I find myself saying, uh, snowy egret and great egret. Like really just because of how those, all those letters go together. And, uh, you know, it, it just sound it flows easier for me to say them that way. Oh, that's your, cause you're a poet. You're more of a poet. Than oh, most, stop it. Yeah. You. That's right. You know, you're. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the the flow of the words. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I guess right. that's that was my point too. Turaco and Turaco. It's about the flow. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turaco sounds ugly. Yeah, it sounds more <laughs> exotic to me. But I don't know. Turaco. Yeah. But but yeah. But then you have to sort of say it like a British person. It's like, did you see that Turaco? And then you know you're like, oh yes, <laughs> it was right beside the jaguar. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Dominic Cousins was the Brit with us on this trip. I think he'd be horrified by your British accent. But uh, well, I was I was doing somebody from from uh, you know Somerset. Okay, <laughs> not a Yorkshire. Yeah. Right. I'm just yeah. Now they're really going to be upset at us. We've yeah. offended all of the We're gonna get British people. Yeah, yeah. Here but yeah, you should see the British when they do an American accent. They all sound like John Wayne. So what? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> It's all cowboyish. Have you ever noticed? Yeah, they, they try they to like, do say, Texas and don't quite pull it off. No, but they just say do an American accent randomly, and they start going, "Hey, y'all!" <laughs> say, well, <laughs> nobody like talks like that around here. Or they say "awesome" a lot. They'll say "awesome." It's just yeah, like awesome. Yeah. yeah, brilliant, brilliant, smashing, brilliant, <laughs> stonkin looks, mm-hmm. stonkin. Yeah, here comes there's some weird now. stuff they use. Yeah. yeah. Here comes the hate mail. I'm looking forward to that. Well, Listen, at least be, it'd be well written because they're British. You know, yeah, so. that's true. And they sound they speak with more authority, right? And the Canadians would be very polite in their letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're very polite in their hate mail. Which we appreciate. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we're coming up on the hour here. Any final thoughts for folks? Um, do your CBCs, even though I. I uh, was negative on them last time. That was a personal thing, and I just enjoyed really a was. great morning 
doing a CBC and may, may do another. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, ignore everything I said. And, uh, <laughs> and I think I'll, I'll say that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good stuff. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And we look forward to coming back with another episode soon. I think we're going to get Molly Brown back next time we record. And we do have some extras coming at you as well. So listen up for those. Send us some mail. Alvaro, have a great rest of your holiday season. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.